What up fam, I'm Elena, a certified nutrition coach, personal trainer, and hormone specialist. I'm a former public educator turned holistic fitness coach, and I'm on a mission to disrupt diet culture and educate individuals on how they can heal their gut issues, hormone imbalance, and food relationships caused by chronic dieting, inflammation, and autoimmune or chronic illness. My philosophy for coaching is simple. Eat more, move better, feel amazing, because life is too short to feel like shit. So let's dive in. Welcome everybody to the first episode of 2023 for What the Funk, where we tackle hormones, health, and healing without losing our damn minds. And I'm so excited for today's episode. So um, as you guys know, I love bringing on guests for this space because it's so important that we get multiple perspectives. And I don't even remember how I came across your page stance, but we uh, somehow ran across each other and I saw your content and I was like, this girl, I like this girl because you are so kind and so funny and so authentic. And that's, that's something that is so refreshing within the online space of like all the like aesthetic things. And then you come on your stories and you're like in your like big comfy robes and your hair is a mess. And like, you're like, I've got an eyelash missing. I'm like, this girl is my people. So I'm so glad that you were able to be here with us today. So thank you for being here and uh, happy new year. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, I think it'd be, I'm going to go ahead and let you just give, tell us about yourself, who you are, what you do, how you got into this online coaching space in a very unique way. And um, you know, what, what is, what is your mission? Because I think that, I mean, you, people, if they aren't following you now, you guys need to go follow her, but um, give it to us. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, thank you. So I was a teacher for eight years before coaching, um, and I worked specifically with kids with trauma um, and then autism. And I love education and love the school system, and it was wonderful. But I found myself really, really burnt out um, in the fall after COVID hit, um, and it was just not working for me. I was struggling with sleep and a lot of health things, honestly. I felt like I was not okay. And so I stopped teaching and had a nanny job for a little bit and was really trying to suss out what would bring me joy. And I had been talking on my Instagram that was not like a like a business yet at all. It was just my personal Instagram, and I had been talking about my eating disorder recovery for 10 years. Um, and so it's a thing I had always been talking about, but it seemed like the natural fit for me. It's like, this is what I'm already talking about. This is what I've been talking about. This is what I care about, but is that a job? <laughs> like I had never considered if that could be a job because I had always wanted to work with kids. So then I found uh, Jane, who is my supervisor, Jane Mattingly for recovery, love and care. And I took her eating disorder recovery certification course which took about six months and really helped me understand what coaching was. Um, I had a really good sense of what eating disorder recovery is because I've been in eating disorder recovery for 11 years, but I didn't quite understand the difference between therapy and coaching. And I didn't understand all the ways that this comes up and all of the ways that diet culture is related to white supremacy and all the crossover about all these things. There's so much to learn and it really sparked so much curiosity and so much joy. And so that kind of got the ball rolling. So I still work a full-time job while coaching at the moment. I would love to be coaching full-time at some point, but I also have a big approach of balance with this. I don't ever want to get burnt out where I was when I left teaching. So I'm kind of building it slowly, working, taking care of myself, doing all kinds of things at my own pace. Yeah. And you have some, I mean, you, and you have a family too, like, and you, I see one thing that comes through to a lot in your page is 
how much time and care you put into your loved ones and spending time with them and making memories. And so I think that finding that balance is so, so important. Um, I, you know, I definitely obviously feel like on the, you burnt out on education situation and we're looking for the next best thing. I think that's too, that's one of the reasons we too connected in the DMs. We're like, we both used to be teachers and now yeah. we're not. <laughs> um, but I think it's so cool that you, you know, and I feel like with every coach, there's an aspect of our personal journey that drives us to do what we do, regardless of where we are within the coaching space. So, um, and it, one of the things that I loved about your content and your page and your message is, um, you know, I'm very much anti-diet culture. I'm also anti-fitness culture. I'm very much on the side of body neutrality, which is yeah. thankfully within fitness coaching becoming much more common. Fitness coaches are understanding that we cannot just push the calories in, calories out, no days off, go harder, go home mentality, because it doesn't work for a lot of people. And especially I feel like people in their late twenties, early thirties, um, you know, even later than that, who struggle even with realizing that now, Oh, I have ADHD now. And I'm realizing that I have this, you know, I have anxiety or I have depression or I have this, or I have that because mental health has become a bigger part of the conversation overall. Um, that there's, there's a lot more to be, there's much more nuance when it comes to behavior change and especially changing and working on that relationship with food and your relationship with your body, <laughs> um, which is so huge. And I always tell people, you know, when they start working with me, you know, I'm not a weight loss coach. Um, I have clients who they might have a goal of weight loss, and that might be something that we put on the list of things to do over the course of time, but I will never sacrifice somebody's mental health or their physical health for the sake of seeing the number on the scale move. And what's actually, you know, shocking to some of my clients after they've been working with me for a little while is I, I don't, I, I do have my clients weigh themselves as a part of their biofeedback to assess, you know, all of these things that we're toggling on and off with sleep and stress management and food intake and movement and how we're balancing it. How does that tie into their sleep, their inflammation, if, you know, any, any, anything that's going on with their bodies is data. And that's data that we use that can help drive decisions alongside how somebody's feeling mentally. But mm -hmm. I don't like check their weight every single week. I'm not looking for what is this trend? And usually if they end up losing weight, um, it's, it's sort of a happy accident as a result of correcting the, these imbalances within our hormonal pathways on a physiological level. And then the body re gets itself into what I like to call the state of like more closer to homeostasis where now, and if they lost the weight, it's like, cool, but we didn't do that on purpose 90% yeah. of the time. It just yeah. sort of happens as a byproduct, um, you know, but so many people are focused on weight loss and especially going into the new year, which this podcast will be coming out the first, if you're listening to it, it's the first week of January. So happy new year, everybody. Um, <laughs> what is it that you see that, you know, what is your hot take on people setting physique related goals, food related goals immediately after the holidays, going into the new year and, and what are things that you would caution people against or perspectives you would ask them to consider before they try to stick to or adhere to something that may not be beneficial for them? Yeah, totally. Um, I think to something that you just brought up in that was the, I, it reminds me that there's a, a big misconception about being anti-diet culture or anti-fitness culture, that that means you don't believe that there are ways to be 
healthier or that there are ways to improve yourself. Um, so talking about you have your clients weigh themselves. I would not ever have my clients weigh themselves because they all have eating disorders. However, I would never say that there should not be a scale and that no one should ever weigh themselves because that's data and that makes sense. And my clients can't see that data. That's okay. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to see it or their doctors don't need to see it or that data doesn't matter. So I just, I love that you brought that up as like, yeah, we're going to use this data, but it's not a thing to measure everything. Yeah. So on that note, if you're thinking about starting a new year's resolution that has to do with weight loss or food or getting a certain amount of exercise, that makes sense to me. Like I get why people want to do that. We live in a culture that is pushing that all the time. I mean, it started even before Christmas. It's like a constant push. So first of all, I would say like, yeah, that makes sense. I get why you want to do that. What do you think will happen if you do that? If you lose weight, what, what will happen besides that your body will be smaller? Like, what do you envision yourself doing in a smaller body? What do you envision yourself feeling like? What activities will you be able to enjoy? What clothes do you want to wear? Um, and those answers are the things that I would encourage people to set goals around. So if I want to feel like I have energy in the morning, that's a great goal. And I can't help you get there, but Elena can. <laughs> um, I probably am not the person to talk to you about that, but that's a great goal. And that's based on how you feel, not the connection with, when I'm skinny, I will wake up with energy. Exactly. Because what we know is that's not true. Yeah. So I want to just kind of understand that the client wants that and validate why they want that. That makes sense. I would never shame someone who wanted to lose weight or wanted yeah. to set these types of goals in this society. That totally makes sense. Yeah. But what's yeah. the why behind it? Exactly. And I think that that's also so important. I absolutely love that you said that because I think there's also a misconception of if that, that you're either you're on one side of the coin where you either think pursuing weight loss is bad or you think it's good and there's no gray area and there is absolutely gray area in that in that wanting to pursue something for your physical and I love that you said what is the feeling that you're trying to achieve um, and I think it's important too to assess you know is what you're trying to achieve necessarily have to be tied to a weight loss goal because studies have shown and I have clients that are proof where you can improve your health you can improve your energy you can improve all these things without this number on the scale even becoming a factor in that story and so if you want want to lose weight and it's because you want to feel more confident in clothes or you want to wear certain clothes or you want to do certain activities is your weight truly a barrier to those things is your body size truly a barrier to those things or is society telling you that it's a barrier to those things because i i think that you could probably just go do the thing and wear the clothes and 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 likely improve your energy without having to hyper focus on what the scale says or what size dress you wear Totally. And I, you said you have clients who have proof of that. And I feel like I'm walking proof of that as well. Um, I had weight loss surgery. I don't think that you and I have actually ever talked about this, but I had weight loss surgery in 2013. It was about a year and a half after I recovered from my eating disorder and sort of like the eating disorder <laughs> to bodybuilding pipeline that there is. I think that there is also a, a strong connection between being in a bigger body and recovering from an eating disorder and then still needing to pursue weight loss because there's a big gap in eating disorder recovery, talking about body image and body neutrality and like that society wants you to be skinnier and you might want that too, but that's not supportive of your recovery. So I really struggled with that myself. And I had perfect health measurements in a bigger body. I didn't have a single indication that I should lose weight. Mm -hmm. Then I had weight loss surgery covered completely by my insurance. And 
my health went out the window. My labs were absolutely the worst they've ever been. And it took me 10, no, nine years. This is the first year that I have ever had normal labs through food and not had to supplement. And that took me nine years to accomplish. And I was already there. And so for me, it's like when people say they want to be thinner to improve their health, I'm like, okay, let's talk about how we improve your health because that you are not going to do it by shrinking your body. Oh, 100%. I hurt your health. Yes, I'm way healthier from a energy, metabolic, and hormonal standpoint now at, you know, 30 to 40 pounds heavier than I was at my leanest when I looked, quote unquote, looked what the typical diet culture, you know, face of health looks like where I was lean. I had, my muscles were showing and I had like, if I flex my stomach, you could see my abs. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I looked amazing, but I felt horrible. Yeah. And I'm oh, like, horrible. not worth <laughs> it. And, and is it worth it? Yes or no? It, it, it's so dependent because I never want to say, oh, I never wish I did the bodybuilding, right? So, you know, we t- you mentioned that that eating disorder to bodybuilding, like sort of pipeline where yeah. people latch on to, um, you know, pursuing bodybuilding because of the discipline, the control, the the drive, and I want everybody to understand neither of us is shitting on the sport of bodybuilding. I, I think mm-hmm. that there's, I have friends that do it and set an amazing example and are very transparent about the realities of bodybuilding. And I think Absolutely. that that's, that's been a great conversation. Um, but I, all too often I see individuals who are struggling with their relationship with food, struggling with their relationship with their body. And they think that the, the, the next best option, and this was me, and I do not recommend going down this path is to now per hyper-focus on a physique goal where your literal worth in that competition is defined by how you look. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. And that is the and I, I loved parts of it. I loved aspects of it. I loved the, yeah. some, you know, the people in the community. It was great. So it's, so it's one of those things where it's like, I wish that I had like gone to therapy first instead of like trying to pursue bodybuilding. And there were some aspects of things that I learned from my coach that did help my relationship with food and gave me more power and autonomy and choice back with mm-hmm. food, which was huge, but it did not fix my body dysmorphia. I have the same insecurities yeah 30 pounds 40 pounds lighter that I did after I gained the weight back like it didn't fix anything I didn't feel or see what makes it worse yeah like I think that my body dysmorphia was worse in a smaller body than it was I mean I think I'm like at a set point right now I'm in a really good like I don't do anything to maintain my weight and I just am how I am and have been forever like this is good but when I was smaller, I had much, much less confidence and felt so insecure about every part of my body. Whereas now, like occasionally someone will take a picture and I'm like, Whoa, that's a rough angle. Like I'm not loving how that looks, you know, like there, there are moments where I have it, but I don't tie my worth to it. It's not my whole body. I'll notice like, Ooh, don't love your chin in that photo. And then I'm like, well, whatever. I like how happy I look, but I'm not picking apart every part of my body. And when I was smaller or focused on a physique goal, it didn't matter if it started on, I want to get stronger in my arms. It would still end up being, I want my entire body to be smaller. I want everything to be thinner. I want to be the best I can be. And so it just gets really tricky if you're focused on aesthetics and not how you feel. Yeah. And and that's a hard, that's a hard, um, 
reality to come to grips to because you tie how you feel to how you look and and dissociating your feelings from how you physically feel in your body not how you feel about your body how you feel in your body how is your energy how is your sleep how is your mental health like how how is your ability to like wake up and have energy in the morning are you constantly having those crashes in the afternoon how you feel in your body is different than how you feel about your body yeah. um, and that's that's something that i've been you know i've been doing a lot more reading and research and i'd love your take on um what are your thoughts for individuals who are struggling with themselves in their body they look in the mirror they don't like what they see and they're setting these reactionary goals <clears throat> reacting to how they treat their body based on how they feel about what they see in the mirror um i know one strategy that i've been researching a lot more that you know i'm i'm learning more about it is mirror work in mm -hmm. being able to um objectively just observe what your body is and without bringing how you feel about it. And so what is your take on, on body and mirror work? Are you, how familiar you are with that? And, and what is, what is sort of the, the benefits and, and drawbacks to utilizing strategies similar to that? Or are there other strategies that are similar that, you know, you would recommend people maybe look into if they're sort of trying to find ways to. Yeah, not, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you get you're picking up what I'm putting down. Take it away. <laughs> yeah. So, um, again, I know I come back to this a lot, but I would say that that makes sense. Like I get why that happens. Um, that happens for me. Um, I absolutely get looking in the mirror and having a reactionary, like, Whoa, what do I need to do now? This is a problem. So my favorite thing with that is some neural retraining. So if you think like you're in a forest and there's this like perfectly paved path that you could take, that's all of your, like, what is the habitual thoughts, the things that you always do, you are used to looking in the mirror and critiquing yourself. You've been doing that for however many years you've been on the planet, probably minus five, about that many years, like a long time. And so it will take some work to trudge through the forest and not take that paved path. And you need to create that new path. So what I have my clients do is when they notice that happening, it's just about noticing that it's happening. Okay, here I am, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm critiquing myself. I'm going to stop and I'm going to create a new path, which means I'm going to say the reality. I don't love like opposite affirmations. Like I love my body. <laughs> I look great today because I don't feel that way. And that feels nope. inauthentic to me. And like you said, like I show up as I am, like <laughs> there's no, if someone told me that I have to say, I love my body and I don't love my body, it would, I'd be like, no, that's stupid. Yeah. So I like to do things that I believe, which can be tricky initially, but things like you know, I got a lot of sleep last night. I know that doesn't exactly balance out like you're starting to critique yourself, but things that you believe that are true, that you are doing towards your, like your goal. So yeah. sleep is a big one for me. That's a committed action I'm taking towards my health and I'm proud of it. I struggle with sleep. I, it's like, I have to really be active to make that happen, which sounds silly because it's sleeping, but I do. And yeah. so when I sleep well, I want to like reward myself for that, you know, what? I slept really well last night. I'm going to go make my favorite breakfast this morning. Like, I yeah. like last night. We had a great time watching that movie. It was so funny. Just like things that I enjoy and I like to retrain my brain when I automatically go to critiquing myself. And I do that in the exact same place. So I would still be in the mirror and I'd still be talking about more positive things, more true things that are not about my aesthetic. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, hundred percent. And, okay. and I think that that first step, exactly what you said is, just bringing awareness 
to the fact that we do these things because we don't think about the fact that we do them until somebody says, Hey, you're having this dialogue with yourself in your head about how you feel about your body. And, and can we rewrite that? Can we rewrite the dialogue? Can we change yeah. the narrative just a little bit? And it is really weird at first. And I, I, I love that you said, this is why I absolutely love your content because I love that you're like, I'm not going to say like, I love my body because I feel like it's total bullshit that people are like, you should just love yourself regardless of everything. I'm, I'm sorry, but like some days I do not like certain parts of my body. Like yeah, no. uh, the, the way that certain types of clothes and, and, and that's a, a whole other story is finding clothes that fit you, you yeah. know, can make a big difference in how you view yourself. But like, mm -hmm. I know that there are certain things that like, I'm not going to wear certain outfits or certain cuts because of how I'm shaped in certain areas. And, and that's okay. Yeah. I don't, and I'm going to wear things that flatter me that I'm so, and this is funny that we got into this because I was doing a a, a survey because I'm doing a boudoir photo shoot at the beginning of February and I've never done one before because I've just never been confident enough to do one yeah. but like I'm in this place where like I'm just really celebrating the fact that like I'm healthy and I'm strong and I've been in this really good place for a while and this body has taken me through so much and I'm so yeah. grateful too and what you can be grateful to but that doesn't mean that I love my little like banana roll underneath my butt cheeks like I do not have that like I absolutely love looking at other women's asses. Like, I hope that doesn't sound weird. But like, because like some girls just have like a phenomenal ass. I'm like, yeah. you were genetically blessed in the way that your rear end was shaped and that good on you. But like, I have fat storage patterns on my body that are genetic. Yeah. That will not change unless I go get like liposuction. And I just, I, I don't know. I just don't want to, that's a lot of work to change this one tiny little thing about myself. <laughs> like, yeah. The banana roll, which is this little spot right underneath your butt cheek where it's like a little pocket of fat. And it's like, it's never going to go away. It's there when I'm wearing leggings. And I'm just like, I told in the survey, what parts of your body are you not like a fan of? And I was just like, I do not like my banana roll. I love how strong my butt cheeks are. I do not like the spot right beneath my butt cheeks. And that's okay. You don't have to like everything about your body. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like I, I just, yeah, I think that's another misconception, right? That like, if you work on your relationship with your body and you work on your relationship with your food, that there's some end goal in which you love every part of your body. Yeah. And that's just like, uh -uh. I, I'm very grateful for my body, but I don't love every part of my body every day. Like I found a, a couple gray hairs today and was like, cool, I'm getting married in three weeks and I don't have a hair dye appointment and I have gray hairs. And I was like, but I'm marrying the love of my life in El Salvador. How cool is that? Like, yeah. and that's that neural retraining, right? Like I had a moment where I was like, oh God, I'm not dyeing my hair before the wedding. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I made that choice because I don't yeah. need to dye my hair and I don't dye my hair normally. And so, okay, what am I excited about? I'm excited about marrying my love of my life in El Salvador. Let's talk about that. Oh yeah. And I've forgotten that I had gray hair, you know, like it, if it's not your focus, it can kind of go away, but it takes yeah. practice. Exactly. And, and I, and, you, and we had to think about these things too, in context, it's like, I, yeah, we may not like this one little thing about ourselves, but there is so much about ourselves to appreciate. Like I have fantastic shoulders. Like, you know I what I mean? I'm like in the mirror being like, look at your boobs. Look at those boobs. Yeah. They're looking good. Right. Like I may have a weird moment with something else, but, and there are things that I can say that are true body yeah. like appreciation things but I like for my clients to think of things that are not having to do with their body because that. it just helps to retrain that 
Oh, for sure. So like, you know, one thing too, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to put this into practice. So I don't necessarily love my banana roll underneath my butt cheek, but I love that I can like go hike up a mountain Heck yeah! and get outside. Like that's really fun. That's really satisfying. And that, that is something that I, that I enjoy and appreciate about myself that, you know, that willingness to push myself and put myself in uncomfortable positions, even though my, like, I have a fear of heights and falling and falling off of a mountain is like a huge fear of mine that I will still kill. I will still go climb up that mountain. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. That's good. That's good practice. That is harder than you yeah. realize. To, it like, is hard. It's hard to come up out. with things because we are so used to basing our worth on our bodies, what yeah. we look like, the like approval from society, approval from our friends, family, like that is what drives so much of our self-worth. But we, wanna, we have to break it down to what drives our self-worth. Like what do we love about ourselves? And it doesn't have to be what society loves. It can be something totally different. For sure. I love that. Very cool. Okay. So now let's, we're going to flip the script just a little bit. And what for you? Okay. So my experience with my own eating disorder was that there wasn't anything wrong with me initially until somebody in my life close to me found out what was going on and like kind of called me out on it. And that was like sort of my first initial like wake up call. And, you know, my background was I was a dancer from a young age. And I remember being like six years old and my dance teacher telling me to suck it in. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So this was very like from a very young age ingrained in me. And there are certain, you know, areas and activities and things like that where the body image and body dysmorphia issues set in at a very young age in your formative years where you're like, man, I got to rewrite a lot of shit going on in my brain. Mm -hmm. But for there was like a solid while where the things that I was doing in my head seemed normal. Oh, yeah. Seemed completely normal. Um, you know, and so what, what would you tell somebody who's, you know, what, what for you is sort of like the first red flag of, you know, you're struggling with your relationship with food. And I think it's important to, to sort of differentiate that you can have an eating disorder and you can have disordered eating behaviors. And mm-hmm. they're, those are two different things. They don't, they yeah. can coexist outside of, they can exist outside of each other. Um, what for you is the defining that, that when does somebody start to move from disordered eating patterns into an eating disorder? And where is that line? And what support can they seek depending on where are they at within their journey? What would, what would you say? What is your opinion on that and your thoughts? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it is, um, there definitely is a huge difference between some disordered eating, which I think most people I've met have some weird shit with food. Yeah. I think Um, the statistic is like, it's like 74% of women specifically have disordered eating patterns without even having a disorder, an eating disorder, which is frightening. Um, It is. It's really, it is scary and it's sad. Um, And so there is a difference between the two. Absolutely. So that's a good point. Um, But it's very, very, very common to hear people who have an eating disorder had no idea that they were sick or that they didn't think they were sick enough. Um, they didn't think that their eating disorder measures up to what we are taught about eating disorders in school, which is that you are emaciated, very, very sick. You never eat or every time you eat, you throw up and there's no discussion of other eating disorders or that that's not what most eating disorders look like. Mm -hmm. So it is very, very common what you're talking about. Like that feeling of, I wasn't sick. This is totally normal. Everyone does this. 
pretty much everyone I know that has gone to treatment for their eating disorder has felt that way. Um, so I would say if you're questioning if you are sick enough to get help, you are. That's just a, on the basis of it. If you have any question, is this, am I sick? Is this a problem? Should I be working on this? You should, because yeah. it's really sneaky. Um, the difference between eating disordered or disordered eating and an eating disorder is tricky. I would say that it has to do with your rigidity and your ability to participate in life. So if most of the time you can participate pretty well, you get to do the things you want to do, but you're feeling a little weird in your body, but that's not the thing that holds you back from participating. It's more like, I have some anxiety about that. I have social anxiety. So I think about pretty much any social setting, I'm going to feel a little bit anxious, but I'm still going to do it. Um, so I wouldn't say that that holds me back. But when I had an eating disorder, the rigidity around what I could eat in any setting was wild. I had to bring my own food places. I couldn't eat there. I could only eat specific things. Like it was just really, really rigid. Mm -hmm. And it did hold me back from participating in things. I would not swim. I love to swim and I would not swim. I would not wear shorts. I would not eat in places where there were a lot of people who could watch me eat. Like there's so much rigidity around a full eating disorder. But again, if you're in it, you're not going to notice it. So, and if you're going to think everyone is like this, and you might think that you're very dedicated and really, really strong, and you are, but in other ways. So yeah. I think it's, it's that thing of how much is it impacting your life? What do you wish you were doing? And is your relationship with food and body in the way? Or is it something that like, I should work on this, but I'm glad I still can live my life. Yeah. Wow. I just had a lot of feelings as <laughs> you were saying all of that. And because I just think of these scenarios where like, I would literally come up with excuses to avoid certain situations. And yeah. I, I remember like at the peak, well, there was a couple peaks to be completely honest. Because <laughs> it's not a linear, you know, there was a lot of ups and downs and yeah. there were stretches, there was, you know, stretches where things were a little like, I could I could deal a little bit better in certain scenarios, but like, I remember like literally like making up or faking sick to like leave scenarios, especially like the swimming thing. Like I would not, I remember the first time that I was able to confidently go out in a swimsuit and not give a shit. I was, I was like 24, 25 years old. Yeah. I remember I, really, too, I was in the biggest body I've ever been in just for the record. It's the first time I ever got in a swimsuit was in my biggest body because I had worked so hard on my self-worth outside of my body. And I got to a point where I was like, yeah, I'm going to swim. What the heck? Who cares? You know? And now I'm in a swimsuit. Like, I feel like at least once a week, I love to be in a swimsuit. And I love to swim. Um, but it is really sad. And it's it like, how much you life you miss out person on who feels like they can't be in a swimsuit. Like that's who we're talking to right now is like, we've yeah. both been there and you do deserve help. Like it does feel normal. We both felt like that was normal. Um, but you do deserve to get some help for that because it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. Oh yeah. Just the whole avoiding social situations. And, and that's, that's a very, you know, oh, gosh, you, you just, when you get to the other side, you look back and you go, the amount of life that I feel like I missed out on or the memories that I made or the people that I may have missed out on in my life, because I held myself back because of how I saw myself in my own body is, is, yeah. is truly alarming. Or even the things that we do, I mean, even beyond that, it, it can go even further than that. You know, I, I always tell, gosh, 
people are shocked to hear this, but like I had an issue with, um, I don't think I was addicted, but I definitely had an issue with a misusing um, narcotic pain medication from, uh -huh. I had multiple surgeries when I was in my late teens, early twenties. So like I had a ton of like Vicodin and Oxycodone and things like that. And yeah. um, in college, when I was obsessed with you know, at one point there was again, a, a peak that was sort of like the final peak of everything before like the shit hit the fan. Um, and, and I would take those instead of drink because I didn't want the calories from the yeah. alcohol, but yeah. I would pop a couple of Vicodin and like be good to go. Like that is. I had friends in college who would not smoke weed because they didn't want to get the munchies and they would do harder drugs because they wanted to still feel high. And I'm like, Ooh, let's talk about the, like the risk there. Yeah. You might eat a bag of chips or you could die. <laughs> like, yeah, that, uh, yes. And that is, yeah, that is a weird thing. And, and it's like, in hindsight is 2020. I look back on those times and my health took a nosedive later on in college. And it's like, I wonder why <laughs> you had so many issues. Yeah, totally. Wonder why you had so many issues, girl, at that one point. You know, luckily at the time I was I was dating somebody who very who cared about me very much and he was like, we need to get you help. And it took somebody else pulling yeah. me sort of out of this and and caring about how my actions. It was the first time that I had really seen my actions, how they impacted somebody else mm -hmm. and seeing somebody else scared for me and seeing sort of the spiral that was happening. But it is, it is frightening. And so, you know, at that time I was just like, well, this is normal. And he's like, this is not normal. And again, it goes goes back to that if you're questioning or like the things that you're doing you would not tell somebody else because you're afraid that they would they would think about it that's another sign that you might need to seek some support seek resources seek therapy seek treatment to yeah. help uncover first of all how to do it but also the why and and I feel like the why of why we do certain things and you know I do consider from my own perspective, having an eating disorder was very destructive. It was a destructive behavior pattern um, for myself that I ended up finding out, you know, even in my thirties, just like trauma from years back, like yeah. that infected that behavior pattern. And it's like, Oh, you know, you see these things and how they start to interconnect as you, as you get older and you start to think back and then you continue going through therapy and I love therapy. I think it's great. I'm just like, man, it's yeah, a lot. Oh, the, the, the mind fuck that happens when you start to see how everything interconnected and you're like, yes. shoot, this yeah. is crazy. So, um, when you're working with somebody, obviously, you know, you are, you are an eating disorder and body image coach. Yep. Um, what is the difference for you between working with a coach through some of these issues? And you said earlier on that coaching and therapy are two different pathways. So what is, what are those pathways and what would be appropriate for somebody? Or is there like a combination of things that could be appropriate for somebody who is looking for resources? Yeah. So I'm very pro therapy. I love therapy. <laughs> I go every week. It's my favorite. Um, but I'm not a therapist. So I just, I see the roles as very different. I would recommend anyone that I work with have a therapist because I'm very pro therapy, but the requirement for clients for me is if you have a formal diagnosed eating disorder, or I'm seeing you because you and I have discussed it and we know you have an eating disorder, whether your doctor agrees with that or not, if you have an eating disorder, you have to be seeing a therapist. Um, and I need you also to see a dietitian and also I need your lab work from your doctors. And there's a whole bunch of things that need to happen if there's an eating disorder, because there's harm that could be happening. If we're talking about body image coaching, I recommend you see a therapist because everyone can benefit from therapy. 
but I'm also, I'm more comfortable working one-on-one with someone who maybe can't afford to do coaching and therapy, but there's not a risk for them. So that's okay with me. Yeah. Um, But if you have an eating disorder, honestly, the more support you can get, the better. And I, as a coach, work really closely connecting everyone. So I'm like the the patient's main source of contact. They will still see their dietitian, see their therapist and everything like that. But my job is to be their advocate and make sure that we're all on the same page. So whatever their therapist goal is, whatever their nutritionist goals is, like I can help kind of manage all that and communicate it to the client and make sure that all of the other health professionals understand the eating disorder world. Yes. And I think and, that that piece of, of, of patient advocacy and medical advocacy is huge. That's very similar to how I work with my clients. For a lot of my clients, I'm their like main point of contact, yeah. but I help interconnect all the different pieces of the people in their life and make sure that they have, okay, this is what we need to take to this person. And these are the questions that we need to ask and that you need to bring these things to their attention. And this is how this fits together with everything that we're doing because, um, you know, and it's, it's important that I love that you said, you know, we've got their, their, they have a nutritionist and they have their doctor and then we have their labs because that sort of unseen side of eating disorder issues is, and even disordered eating patterns, um, is, leads to, you know, multiple nutrient deficiencies. We're talking hormone imbalances and then you feel bad and then you have issues with your weight management even more so. And and it takes tackling the sort of mental as well as the physical side of things to help get things in place. And and I have several clients who are recovered from eating disorders. Um, and you know, they come to me and they usually have, I mean, we're talking, people got gut issues. We've got hair, you know, their, their hair is thinning their, you know, their skin is breaking out. They've got, you know, they, they have just, just their whole body feels just off kilter because of the disruption to all of these hormonal pathways within their body and all their body's functions. And they just, they they feel like shit. Well, if you don't get the, the, also the physical health side of things sort of put into place, the likelihood of you potentially relapsing in order to seek relief through, you know, typical diet culture and toxic fitness culture means in order to get healthy because you don't feel healthy is very, is very high. Um, yeah. in my opinion, I don't know if that's a fact, but like, I can see that being a huge issue. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you don't support the physical health side of things, um, in alongside that journey, when you're healing that relationship with your body, with food. And, and if you are in the middle of an eating disorder, you know, that, that can be very scary. And this is a, this is a phenomenon that I'm sure that you see a lot is that I always tell people, um, and this is not true for everybody, but the majority of people who start working on their relationship with food first after years of trying to control their weight, whether they have an eating disorder or disordered eating or just issues with yo-yo dieting, which that's, that's a whole nother situation of, that's a whole nother like face to the, that conversation yeah. um, it is um, they will likely gain some weight Yeah, in that, in that journey. And my opinion is if we're on the path and we're now, you know, we're fixing the relationship with food, we're bringing more nutrients into your diet, we're taking care of your body and you gain five, 10, 15 pounds. Well, you had to gain that weight Absolutely. because you're not going to be able to move forward or even potentially lose weight down the road. If you don't let that weight gain happen. Yeah. Um, and everybody's responds differently. Some people will lose weight right, right, right away. And, and I say this because 
not every person who has an eating disorder, and I mean, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, looks like they have an eating disorder. There's not like a look to it. And that's what people don't understand is yeah. you can have somebody who is considered, you know, from a scale weight perspective, overweight, who has an eating disorder. And it's very possible that when you start bringing more food, more nutrients into their diet, more gentle movement, more, you know, freedom and permission around food, that their body will potentially drop weight yeah in that scenario yeah. they also yeah, might every, still gain weight everybody is so different right everybody's like, so different. no way to know how your body will react to that nope. like when i stopped binging and was in recovery i was losing weight at a pretty like slow rate um mm -hmm. but like was losing weight and my body was trying to find its own set point and figure out where to be while i was navigating intuitive eating and like there was a lot going on yeah, um yeah. but i also have friends who very similar with also had been eating disorder recovered and didn't lose any weight and that's okay and that's yeah. also why like anorexia and atypical anorexia hate that diagnosis but there are two diagnoses um for anorexia and that's because the symptoms are the exact same the only difference is their body weight and so are there is their bmi very low or is their bmi normal or high and that's the difference between anorexia and atypical anorexia i didn't even know there were two different kinds that's so weird oh it's so horrible um <laughs> but yes there are two different kinds but the literal only difference is bmi and so that indicates that if you can stop eating and not get to a low, low BMI and still have anorexia, still get the diagnosis, but your body hasn't changed, that no two bodies react the same way. Uh -uh. Like I can restrict myself, I, like I can restrict a ton and I will still never be a very, very low BMI. I just won't, that's not how my body reacts to that. And actually that's kind of badass. If I try to kill myself by not eating, my body just says no, and that's, it's not just calories in calories out. It's not the same as if say my fiance were to cut the same amount of calories as I did, he would lose weight in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. And so it's just bodies just don't react the same way. It's not just a simple equation. And I know, you know that, but it, it I think people think that it's this cut and dry, easy peasy. I eat less, I'll lose weight just like I saw someone else do. And it's yeah. just not that way. It's not. And it's so important to, to create the narrative of every person is different and will respond to things differently. You know, even, even when we're talking in the realm of, you know, cause I do have a lot of people who have Hashimoto's so PCOS who have maybe subclinical hypothyroid. That's like a life, which isn't a disease. Just FYI, it, hypothyroidism is not a disease. It's a lifestyle condition. Um, Hashimoto's is a disease. Hashimoto's is an autoimmune thyroid disease, but if you have hypothyroidism, it's a lifestyle issue that is correctable. <laughs> it's not a disease. Um, and that's, that's a, that's an interesting, that's a good differentiation to have because a lot of people who have usually disordered eating history or yo-yo dieting or issues with, with food and exercise, or they go to extremes and like fall back, their thyroid function has downregulated usually just a little bit. And then they get this label of hypothyroidism and then they blame everything on the hypothyroidism. I'm like, it's, that's, that's not even an issue. That's so correctable. It's not even funny. Um, yeah. even Hashimoto's, I mean, I'm in remission. Do I still have it? Yes. If I start acting like an asshole to my body, will I get sick again? Absolutely. But like, but I've, I've even gotten off medication and now just live via lifestyle and supplementation and like movement in order to keep my body healthy and, and running at a good rate, you know, so things are correctable, but hypothyroidism is not a disease. It's a, it's a lifestyle condition, um, that, that is correctable. So anyway, but I, I digress even individuals who have these, like, you can give me two people with the same label 
which, you know, a diagnosis is, is a label that yeah. we need to have in order to understand, you know, what treatment options are potentially available to you. And this is why I always say, you know, PCOS is just a label. I have multiple clients with PCOS and not a single one of them responds the same way. Mm -hmm. No, it's frightening. It's like, it's not frightening. Well, I mean, it's a little frightening because Western medicine takes the same approach to everything. You get a label and this is what you do. And, and that's, scary but it's just it's it's wild the way that the body works everybody responds differently yeah. and everybody has a different set of stressors has a different set of genetics has a different set of environmental factors that will impact how they respond to certain things including weight loss yeah and including too like someone maybe who also has Hashimoto's just using that example yeah. um that you're in remission and that you are able to like handle that with food yeah. which I think phenomenal and so cool, right? Like I have a similar situation with my endometriosis and like managing that, but I also have clients and have spoken to clients who that's never going to be an option for them right. because controlling their food would have worse outcomes. And that might yes. mean they take medication for their Hashimoto's and that's okay. Like yes. both things can be true. And like, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't control your, your Hashimoto's through food and, and your, your like lifestyle, yeah. right? Medicine is great. And that that's the only way to do it because yeah. everyone has a different situation. Everyone has different stressors. We like no two people, even with the same label are the are same. The same. Are so the same. Yeah. And that's, that's important too, is like, you know, but I, I always like to say this because sometimes I shit almost during medicine, <laughs> like certain things. And I'm just like, I hope people understand that it's like, I'm not so much like shitting on like doctors themselves, but on the, the concept that. of, of, uh, everything works in a silo. <laughs> like, yeah we can't look at our body systems by themselves right like and again you have endometriosis so you probably and I, I do too but it's like you one thing that is seemingly unrelated to you know quote unquote unrelated to our reproductive health can have a negative or positive impact on if there's a how severe a flare-up might be that, yeah. that month there, you know what I mean? So it's, it's yeah. wild how those things can be interconnected. Um, and so that's just important too, to understand is that as you're going through this journey, whether you are going through an eating disorder recovery, or you are going through, um, you know, trying to repair your relationship with food or overcome body dysmorphia, that your journey is going to be your journey. Yeah. And not somebody else's. And, and it can be so tempting to, again, we're on Instagram, we guys were scrolling all day long to compare your path to somebody else's mm -hmm. and it's not going to, it's yeah. not going to, it's going to be so unique to you as an individual because you are unique. And, yeah. um, that can also be, you know, sort of detrimental, I think, to anything that you're pursuing is we get caught up in well, so-and-so was able to do this in X amount of timeline and they did this and they responded this way. Why am I not able to do this? And that's, that's another thing. And I think that ties back into the, um, the self-worth piece of it is understanding that regardless of what your journey looks like and how you actually respond, it doesn't make it any less valid or yeah. true or real. Yeah. That's why I like to go back to those, like what committed actions are you taking that like are going towards that goal. So if your goal yeah. is to feel more energized, what are the actions? Cause then you can come back to them. You are doing that. Even if you are not on the mm -hmm. exact same like timeline as your friend or as some influencer or a celebrity, that's okay. And you can come back to, yep, I'm not there yet, but I have gotten seven hours of sleep every single night this week. Yes. Yes, you know, like absolutely. that we can come back to what you're actually doing and not comparing yourself to other people. Cause there's just never, it's never going to work. 
Oh no, it's not. And, and, and too important to sort of release the expectations of what it's supposed to look like, yes. because if you're focused on what it's supposed to look like versus just allowing it to be whatever it's going to be, that, that sort of surrender to the process and the journey, it can be very difficult. Um, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things where it's like, holding true to the journey to your journey whatever it may look like and releasing what things should look like in your head is mm -hmm. almost more powerful than the recovery itself in some scenarios because if you're able to release that then your path is going to be much more smooth sailing and that can be very that can that that struggle to hold on to what things should be can hold you back from moving forward in Absolutely. a way in, in multiple areas. And so it's just that, that, that mindset piece of it. And this is why too, multiple areas of support, having therapy, having a coach, having supportive environment, um, it, you know, in that arena is, is so important. Um, and so speaking of environment, the last thing that I kind of want to pick your brain on is if somebody is going through struggling with body dysmorphia or, you know, they're struggling with their eating disorder, they're repairing their relationship with food and they are struggling to find that support or struggling to communicate their needs to the people in their life. Because we know that environment has a huge impact. The people that we are around have a huge impact on whether somebody can be truly successful or not. What are some tips or takeaways that you would give to somebody who is trying to be transparent and ask for what they need, but they either don't know how or they don't feel like they're being heard. Yeah, it's so hard to set boundaries with your family and like the people in your life. Sorry that my dog is probably making noise. Um, but I think that getting clear about what it is you actually need, again, not what you think you should need, what you think they should say, what support should look like, but really, really what would benefit you outside of what other people think would benefit you. Um, is the first step that's so important. Because again, I think we think, okay, I'm on this path towards trying to eat certain foods because that's what's going to make my gut feel the best. I'm making this up. Then they might think that they should ask to not have anything but those foods in their environment. Because if those are the foods I should eat, that's what support looks like. But is that really going to help you feel supported? Or is it going to be that when you eat those foods, you're sitting around with people feeling excited about it, having good conversation, playing games. And the support of having someone sit with you is actually way more helpful than like eliminating all other foods from your vision, mm -hmm. but it's really common. So thinking about what would actually make this easier for you. I know that seems silly because that's what you're asking, but like we get into a place where we think it's something that it's not actually going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. so once they're clear about what will actually be helpful for you, then I think you need to find someone who gets it, which is tricky. Um, and not everyone in your life is going to get it, but hopefully there's one or two people who even get it a little bit and that you can explain a part of it and that they can be your ally because mm -hmm. the society is not going to change. You're going to have dinners to go to and people are going to make comments and they're like, there will forever be triggering things that come up, yep. but even being able to like look across the table to someone who gets it and like make eye contact and be like, did you hear that? Like, and someone to understand that they also saw that and that's not where you guys vibe and that's okay. And ignoring it, it can still be helpful to have an ally. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I guess instead of expecting your ally to do the work for you or to read your mind and know what you want or to like make the environment trigger free, right. it's more that they 
get what you're, what, what's going on. And they're there to support you if you're triggered or if you're not, or if you just need someone to sit with you, whatever it is, they're just there for you. It's not so complicated. Yeah. I love that because so often we think that the solution is just to remove all of the things that are going to cause issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I mentioned this, I mentioned this on, I think another episode that I did, that I did like sometime in the month of December, where I said, when you're dealing with your relationship with food, even it's, it's like this concept of it, removing the food might be like a temporary fix, like removing it from your environment, but that's not a fix. That's avoidance. Yeah. And that, that's not a long-term solution. It can be an acute temporary solution to yeah. an immediate issue, but avoidance does not solve the problem. And so I think that, that the other thing too, is giving yourself permission to speak up and set boundaries. And that can be really hard. Totally. That's really and hard. You're not always going to be heard. Right. No, like, but it's not. still worthwhile to yes. do it. And it's still Absolutely. like, it can be hard and you can have to set those boundaries multiple times and you're not heard multiple times and you're like, your words can be misinterpreted and that's hard work. It sucks to advocate for yourself and not be heard. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think about that too, because, you know, I, I dealing with a lot of individuals who struggle with like gut health issues or even like autoimmune disease. Occasionally I have to take clients through some form of an elimination diet where there's literally foods that we're trying to identify what is triggering you on a physiological level. And so many people feel very self-conscious about communicating those needs to the people in their life. Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't want to make this inconvenient for somebody else. And it's like, your health is not an inconvenience to the yeah. people in your life. Yeah. Totally. They might not understand it. They may not get it. And you might have to state what your needs are multiple times. And you are responsible for making sure that you have what you need in that scenario. Like if you need to bring food or something like that from a health standpoint, and you know, then, then you might need to do that. But beyond that, the concept of you are responsible for your own advocacy and making sure that you're seeking what you need, even if you might not always get it. Yep. There's, there's no way around that. And I think learning to be an advocate for yourself. And again, this is where coaching can help because we can, you know, Absolutely. I'm sure you do this where you, you sort of script out or you practice these dialogues with your clients of what can I say to the people in my life that will help me delineate what it is that I need in this moment or in this experience or this event. Um, and that, that, that might be, you know, what you need is support. <laughs> I mean, again, unfortunately for us, Sometimes we are the people for our clients. They might not have somebody else immediately within their life, easily accessible on a regular basis who can be yeah. always that ally. And so just having some, having somebody, making sure you have somebody in your life, whether it's a coach, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member who might not get it, but can still be there for you yeah. along that journey is huge, but you are still responsible for making sure that you are asking for what you need. Yeah. And I think that there's like, we talked a little bit about medical advocacy as well. It's a thing that we are not taught, especially women. We are taught not to do this thing. Nope. So if you're feeling like, okay, yeah, Stanson Elena, it sounds great. Like I should learn to advocate for myself in all settings. Like it's so much easier said than done. Yeah. And you're not crazy if you don't know how to do that. Like, no. I, I guarantee you, Elena, <laughs> I'm making this up about you, but I'm sure you had to learn that. I had to learn oh, it. And it's not that we like, we just are the type of people who advocate for ourselves and y'all are just not. Like it takes actual practice to advocate for yourself with your family, with doctors in all types of situations. And I absolutely work on that in coaching. Yeah, It's and so hard. The and more it, you do it, mm -hmm. the easier it gets. Yes. 
the more yeah. you do it, the clearer you can become at communicating your needs, the more confidence you have in approaching whatever scenario it is that you're approaching, knowing that I can hold my ground and I can ask for what I need and I can do it without apology. Um, Cause your health and your well being is not an inconvenience to somebody else. Yep. It is a necessity to you living a full and vibrant life. Yeah. Heck yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And I think that on that note, I think we, I think we got it. We got a lot yeah. of good stuff in this conversation today. Yeah, it was great. This was so yeah. much fun. Well, um, Stance, you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Yeah. So I'm Stance Dex everywhere. So Instagram, Ooh. I guess I'm Stance Dex coaching on TikTok. I don't do a lot. I'm mostly on Instagram. My website yeah. is stancedex.com. Um, very active on Instagram. Send me a DM. I connect with people all the time on Instagram. That's how I know So it's awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time and enjoy your wedding that will is <laughs> coming up here soon. That's going to be so exciting. I hope that it's, it's, it's I'm, I can't wait to see, you know, the, the photos and the pictures and everything like that after the yeah, fact that that's going to be so gorgeous. So um, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Yeah, you. you guys go give her a follow if you aren't already following her and um, happy new year to everybody. And we will catch you on the flip side. Thanks so much. Thanks guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the What The Funk podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and a review and don't forget to take a screenshot. Tag me on Instagram. My handle is at elena.m.fit. I would love to hear what you want to hear on the podcast. I do respond to DMs. I would love to talk with all of you. I'm so excited for you being here today. Thank you so much for the support and I will see you next time.